From Glitch HQ on Riverside Avenue in cluttered, ordered Minneapolis, this is Nice Games Club, the show where nice game devs talk gaming and game development. I'm Martha McGarry, and I make nice games. I'm Stephen McGregor, and I make nice games. And I'm Martha Croy, I too make nice games. For this week's episode, our topics are level design and HUDs. And so, if everyone is ready, let's start. Otherwise known as heads-up displays. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Just a little extra context for our, for our listeners. Yes. Um, yes. <laughs> <laughs> How do you spell HUDs? Do you put an apostrophe between the D and the S? No, because it doesn't belong to the heads-up display. Yeah, that, that's what I figured. I put apostrophes in there, though. I don't know why I did. Well, This is probably why you hate them so much. <laughs> I knew it. I mean, the, <laughs> sometimes you put them for adjectives or, or, or not adjectives. What's it called? The no. thing where abbreviations, oh. right? To yeah. like distinguish between the abbreviation and the S. Uh, yeah, because probably yes. not correct. No, you correct. always do it when you uh, when you have a uh, what are the con, con the con, conjugations? Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you always do it when you have not a conjugation. That's not contractions. Right. right. So of course it stands for heads up display is. Yeah. So <laughs> that's <a> dumb. <laughs> Preview for the coming <laughs> attractions. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Uh, we don't have a lot to talk about the top, but a couple of things. Mm-hmm. Um, the big uh, um, fan convention convergence just happened, at least on our where we're sitting. And um, Marina Zertis signed my sketchbook and said that I should be an artist for a living. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. So I'm very happy. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, they had a couple of cool guests there. Um, I'm like, I'm. It's the first time I've ever gone to this thing. Um, people local to Minneapolis probably like it's 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 a famous convention. It's like huge. Um, it takes over an entire hotel, mm-hmm. and it's uh, it's all just like two hotels. Oh, that's right. Yeah, that's, yeah. And um, I think they're they're like uh, the hotels finally had enough, and they're like moving to a new location. It's like a lot of drama with that, mm. but. Um, it. Um, uh, uh, I went this year with Glitch. Uh, Glitch did a thing called Playtest Arcade, and um, where they had um, a bunch of local games. Uh, so I had uh, Widget's Hatchel there. Martha, you showed off Clawbreaker, um, and there was a couple other games there as well. And we did like three events on a Saturday, and we moved around the convention and oh. set up shop in different places oh. for like an hour and a half. That's and, interesting. And just you know pulled out our laptops and we had no access to power and we just like you know <laughs> played until the laptop uh battery died yeah exactly <laughs> switched out for a new laptop <laughs> yeah um i don't know Mar- we even martha we haven't talked about it since it happened did you have a good time did you get good feedback and oh on the game yeah i mean we did i didn't get very much yeah feedback, well, i mean i guess clawbreaker's but... done it's it's got a release date it's ready to go yeah mm-hmm. so it wasn't really a play test it was more of a like hey this game's coming out <laughs> On August 16th, yeah. just to remind everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, yeah, but people had you know, the usual suggestions like, um, are there going to be more crabs and will there be four, four player? Yeah. <laughs> Which is like the two comments we get people most People ask often. about four player? Oh yeah. Like every oh. time. What is your thought on that? Um, we probably won't. Yeah. Well, I mean, uh, irrespective yeah. of whether you're going to do it or not. <laughs> like, Oh, well, it, I always it, thought of it as a fighting game, so I wouldn't, like it would probably get too chaotic on the screen to have four yeah. but i think it's probably yeah the way it's designed i think you'd have one or two players get knocked out real quick yeah and then a way that two. might not feel fair right mm-hmm. i think yeah one-on-one's probably its best mode although i mean you know you guys are done with the thing like you want to move on but like it wouldn't be a 
it'd be an interesting thing to try to see if mm. it was interesting. That's true. Um, I mean, there was the bug that made you have infinite crabs on your side, <laughs> which is pretty great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, hmm, I don't know how I would feel about four player. Yeah, I think that the levels are just too small for that to be the case. The levels were larger than it would be a little bit better. Because then mm-hmm. you can have like 1v1s in sections of the map. Yeah. But we don't really have that in place right now because it wasn't designed yeah. for four player. That's, you know, that really does remind, there's a category of, of, of suggestions you get from playtesters, which are like, that's interesting, but that's not what this game is. Yeah. And it's, it's kind of difficult to like explain that to someone without you accidentally telling them, no, your idea is dumb. Yeah. Because it's not dumb. It's yeah, just like, yeah, it's, it's just different. They don't have the context right. of it. They don't, they haven't done all the things you're thinking. Mm-hmm. And those conversations can be kind of tricky. And uh, I had a couple of those. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what they um, Mostly things like, um, oh, you should always be able to jump higher. Or like, oh, it would be really great if you could just like, you know, swing your tail and destroy all these bots all the time. Ah. And just like, basically like, I want more power fantasy in this yeah. game. It's like, great, but then it's not a, not a challenge anymore. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, the game we're making. Yeah, exactly. Right. Normally, I'm just like, hey, thanks for the feedback. And I, that's it. Uh-huh. <laughs> when, when I get feedback like that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, because like you said, it's not, they're not bad ideas. They're just not right for the game that you're making. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But I, I got to say, um, it was, uh, we've, we've play tested. We just actually hear glitch at play test events. We've, mm-hmm. you know, given it to pe- some people to say, hey, try this out. And, and, and we've gotten a lot of good feedback that way. But this was like the biggest play test the game has had. Yeah. And in it, it's, its most sort of complete state. Uh, there are like um, uh, two and a half full levels and a lot of the mechanics are in place and the sort of core of it is done and there are not so many bugs that have ruined <laughs> anyone's experience. There were a, a fair number of them. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, so I did get a lot of really, really good feedback. That's good. Um, and we went over the notes right, this yeah. week and uh, some really good stuff. Mm-hmm. So it was very, very useful. Um, I can't say I had a great time at, conven- at Convergence otherwise. I had, a, I, I had to buy a, a pass. So I had it's a full four day thing. So I was just there. I was like, I'm going to make best of my time. Uh-huh. And it's like, eh, it's not really for me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's okay. Yeah. I, people have the, it's, such a, it's a big social activity. Like people really, people who get into it really get into it. And I'm like, I'm, always, I'm walking around. I'm like, wow, these people are having a great time. I'm so happy for them. I wish I could be ha- as happy as these people yeah. are. Yeah. It just was not totally for me. Yeah. Martha, you like explored Convergence though too, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, I was planning on going before Glitch was like, let's do this. Mm-hmm. Uh, so... Um, had you been before? I had been to the precursor to Convergence. Uh-huh. So back when it was called Minicon. Uh, this was like when you were very young. Yes, this was uh, 20 years ago because um, Convergence is 20 years old this year. Ah. So at least 20 years ago, um, I was a little kid and my parents took me with them. And it was really fun. And my brother yelled things at the stage during the masquerade. <laughs> and um, I bought a dragon doll at the dealer's room. And it was really fun. And I almost believed that Vulcans were real because there's a guy walking around with Spock ears. And I thought they were real just for one second, I believe. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, it was so interesting because that was huge drama. Like speaking of con drama, like mm-hmm. when that split split into three conventions, um, Convergence being one of them. And I tried to, people were like, oh, you, this is your first year. And I was like, well, actually. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, but yeah, it was a, it's quite different from what I remember. Well, it's different and the same yeah. than I remember. Mm. Um, I felt like it should have felt bigger, mm-hmm. um, but like it just grew proportionally to how 
like how large I was. So <laughs> like when I was little, it seemed really big because I was tiny mm-hmm. and now it's way bigger than it used to be, but I'm also an adult. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, but yeah, I had a good time. I, I know both you and me, Mark mm-hmm. have gripes with the panel uh, quality. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, Martha and I are used to like professional conventions. <laughs> And conferences, and uh, not that it promises anything. It it wasn't. No, it did. You know? Like I had to like dial back what I, my expect because the first panel I went to was called Agriculture Science for you know, it was like oh, what, yeah. advances in agriculture science. And I was mm-hmm. like, ooh, here I you know other people are here for the party, but I'm here for the meat of the science stuff. <laughs> and then I get to this panel, and it's like here's this popular science that I pulled directly from uh, my corporate flyer slash. Um, John Oliver. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, cool. Yeah. Right. This is not a, a, this is not a conference. This is a convention. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, my wife, Dale went uh, with glitch as a volunteer. And so she got a free pass. And so she did a bunch of the fan panels for all the, the things that she was interested in. And uh-huh. she had a similar kind of like, yeah, there were just people up there who were, who liked a thing. They didn't have any expertise. It didn't uh. particularly know what they were talking about. They were just up there, like having a. It was like having a conversation with your friends, but you were presenting it to an audience of like fifty people, and it was. It took some getting used to. Kind of sounds like a podcast. Well, yeah, but like we know what we're talking about. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, but uh, the, I think that casual nature is one of its strengths. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's just like it, it. It was. It took some getting used to. For yeah, me I anyway. gotcha. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like Even though I didn't go to convergence, it sounds like it was still fun. It was yeah. so much like. There was so much to do and so many people in really great costumes. Like oh, that was yeah. the best part was just sitting, standing up at the balcony and wa- looking down at the, mm-hmm. the big atrium area where all people with just like amazing costumes. You're like, oh my God, there's that person from that show. And oh my God, it's a Klingon. <laughs> and oh my God. <laughs> it's like 70% of the attendees were in costume. Yeah. Um, it's like a definitely a huge tradition at that, at that one. And what's great is because the convention is going on for 20 years, there are people who went when they were young 20 years ago and they're still going. So it's this huge, like a, a big wide audience of people, which means you get age appropriate, uh, cosplay. So you see like the perfectly correct age, Alan Grant from Jurassic Park, <laughs> just like walking around like, it's, wow, that's awesome. It's pretty good. Yeah. There was the a old lady was there dressed as the grandma from Moana. Nice. Oh, wow. <laughs> Dang. I'm sad I missed all that that's cool yeah so i definitely felt like an anthropologist like walking through because it just didn't seem like for me but it was so cool it was Mm -hmm. was great you know there was there was um a couple with a baby that were two rebel um uh star wars rebels from endor (laughs) and the baby was as ewok like a little ewok they were carrying it's pretty good that's good anyway um um, there's another podcast oh, yeah. that we so, should mention. Yeah, so I, want, I threw this in the notes. Uh, so my wife, Dale, and a friend of the show, Felix. He's been on a couple um, times. Yep, both have been on this show a few times. Um, they are starting another podcast that I'm just going to use this space to promote. Uh, so Felix, there's some background. Uh, Felix and I go to the Marvel movies whenever they come out. And uh, sometimes we drag Dale along, but like very rarely, she just is loath to it. Mm-hmm. And, so, and what will happen is Dave, Felix and I will talk about these movies. We're like, we claim not to care about them that much, but like we spend way too much time talking about them. It's really embarrassing. <laughs> and like um, Felix will start talking to Dale about them mm-hmm. and Dale will just be like, like just engage him in a weird way. And so we thought, well, let's let's bottle that. So the, <laughs> uh, the podcast is uh, Felix Drags Dale Through the Marvel Universe. And it's a uh, a twenty episode series of every one of these Marvel movies, 
and it's where they watch the movie and they just recap it. And it because Dale doesn't care about these movies and doesn't really want to engage with them on the level this is that they want you to engage with them. Yeah. You hear the most interesting nitpicks <laughs> that you've never, I, I swear it's very unique and interesting. And the two of them are a, like a blast together. And so uh, look for that. Um, I think when this episode comes out, uh, the first few of that podcast will be out in maybe out a week or so. So we'll put the, there'll be a website probably by the time this is out. Um, I'm half promising. So check the notes on this episode. Uh, for that, and we'll talk about it again probably in the next uh, episode to, uh, to 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 hype it up. Maybe we can slip in a clip here of of the. Oh yeah, that's a, a, good that's a super good idea. <laughs> um, we totally did that just now. I think. <laughs> <laughs> Where it shoots up into the air and blasts Tony, but he's fine, and then also blasts Obadiah, and he dies. Um, okay, so we'd never see Obadiah again? Never see Obadiah again. Okay, but Tony's totally okay. He yeah. Obadiah. <laughs> <laughs> Which brings me to this amazing statistic I just read yesterday, that Pepper Potts kills 11% of the villains in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. The first 10 minutes of this very long fight scene in yep. the Soda Factory, they do not show the Hulk. He's in the shadows, and you get like oh, a yeah. little glimpse of him, like the is, whole time. Is that how they saved money? I'm assuming that's crowd. how they save money on the budget. This is also where I noticed that everything that can be green in this movie is green. They arrest Whiplash somehow, yes, and then he goes to prison, where we learn about prison in Monaco. Yes. I looked this up because I was like, how can this tiny city state have this prison? It is not a member of the European Union, not part of France. They have their own prison capacity. That is um, that is 82 prisoners. <laughs> You're laughing because I already told you my joke, which is, so I have a proposal for an Oceans <laughs> sequel. I call it Oceans 83. They can't send all of us to prison. <laughs> Sounds like they're bringing podcasting to the next level. <laughs> 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 this is Ben Martha for your transition. Awesome, Ben. <laughs> 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 Bringing in a pinch hitter. To <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> real good, real good. Okay, so this is our first topic, uh, level design. This is my topic, and I wanted to talk about it because uh, working on Widget Satchel, uh-huh. and um, it's a single-player platformer game with a lot of level design uh, more than any game I've ever made and so um, just thinking about that you know recently like how to employ that and like sort of learning things I already knew if that makes sense where as I'm uh, like uh, if you watch like a lot of like the YouTube videos on these things like yeah. the Mark Brown the game designers toolkit right yeah you you, uh, you know these things like you you hear you know like oh yeah yeah I've heard this analysis I've read these things or I've had these own thoughts as I play games but then as you start putting it together you have the you have these same ideas again mm-hmm. and you it can it's sort of it's it is learning it new again it's very interesting um, so I thought we'd chat about it on good examples and bad examples um, 
There's a couple of really good articles about this. There's a great one uh, called The Ten Principles of Good Level Design. Mm. And so um, uh, I'm going to, uh, a couple of things, a couple of my little topic headers are going to be pulled from that. So we'll put a link for that in the show notes um, and you can check out uh, the way that's done. But this is sort of a, a, a little bit of a remix of that idea. Um, so the first thing that I want to talk about is that level design is really about building a language. Yeah, um, totally. From parts. <laughs> and it, like, it doesn't matter if it's like a 2D game, like a Mario game, or if it's like a 3D open world kind of uh, uh, realistically. Like a Mario game. Like a Mario game. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty much all we're going to be talking about. And I'm going to say it is actually really hard when you're like researching and thinking about level design to not just distill it through all of Mario. Yeah, kind of. It's because it, there's kind of examples uh, everywhere. Like, And we talked about this in the sequels episode where like Mario gets to be everything now. Like part mm-hmm. of its core is that it gets to like be unique and different with each iteration. Yeah. And therefore it gets to touch every corner of this, like this topic. Yeah. Um, and like the Mario one, one, like the original Super Mario brothers is such a famous example of good level design mm-hmm. that it, te- you tend to start thinking there and then you're like, well, what other Mario examples anyway? So we'll touch on a lot of those, of course. Um, but the idea is you build a language from parts and using iterative design and some surprising elements. So you, uh, you use your level to explain to a player how the world works um, like, you know, uh, this is so, such and such high, uh, which is, is a, a normal platform, or this is too high, mm-hmm. um, or, you know, what a, uh, uh, explaining what, like, uh, you know, uh, what spikes look like, what yeah. enemies are, like, yeah. um, explaining it visually, but also, like, um, uh, compositionally. Uh, is I mean, it's not, this is kind of just defining it. It's not that uh, insightful, but it's, I think, the thing that a lot of, um, especially platformer games, the ones that are not great, are ones that just, um, use the like the language of platformer games and don't develop their own language, mm-hmm. and that's the thing I was thinking of, trying to think of examples. Um, the ones that work really really well are ones where they they set they set their own world, um, and Mario is of course the best example of that. Right. right, where like the idea that you jump on an enemy is like a you know it's I don't know if it's a Mario invention, but like it's so standard that you have to it almost feels like a subversion if you don't do that now. Um, so a lot of the things you think of as platformer language are really Mario language. Yeah, you, you know, now that I think about it, I think this is sort of an aside, but like yeah. the original, I played, I think I played Super Mario Brothers before I played the original Mario Brothers. But like in the original Mario Brothers, you could not jump on enemies. Right. And I think I tried to do that and failed. And I was like, what? Yeah. It's a Mario game. So yeah. um, <laughs> I think a lot of people played the original Mario Brothers. So if mm-hmm. people don't know, it's, it's a single screen arcade style game. Yeah. It's Mario versus Luigi. And uh, it was uh, it was an arcade game. It was an, an NES game as well before mm-hmm. Super Mario Brothers, yeah. at least in Japan. And um, there was that a lot of people are familiar with that through a bonus mode in Mario Brothers Three, um, where you can uh, com- you can compete um, if you're like on the same card uh, on a map. You can go into the classic Mario Brothers mode and compete. Oh yeah. And I think that is where people were really confused because it was I think a pretty faithful recreation of the rules of the original Mario Brothers, mm-hmm. which are not the same. They're as, so different. Yeah, and it's a little strange. Yeah. Um, and uh, the but that is where the um, the punching up from below mechanic comes from. Right. So in order yeah. to knock an enemy out in the original Mario Brothers, you had to be underneath the platform and you'd jump up and you'd knock them out. Mm-hmm. And that is where and that carried over Super Mario Brothers, where it's breaking blocks and stuff. Um, and one of the things that's fun for people to learn is that Mario doesn't hit these things with his head. He, <laughs> he actually punches them with his fist. Yeah. Uh, and it's because it's so quick, you don't really notice it. That's mm-hmm. a, that's always fun to. to when, to tell people yeah. they don't know that already. Yeah, but that's you know that's an interesting uh, like the whole series before Super Mario Brothers is like an iteration process. Yeah, you have Donkey Kong where he just jumps over stuff. Yeah, and then you have Mario Brothers where he jumps over stuff and then hits things under it, and then you have Super Mario Brothers where you can also jump on the things and you use that to navigate the world a lot more. 
Yeah. Like it's all an extension of that. And the level design is 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 clear about it. So like they had experience with the first the first few games and they got to this point. Yeah. Based off of that. Yeah. And the thing that what makes Super Mario Brothers so great is mm. that it's it uses that iterative process that's now kind of like, you know, to where it was at that point. And then all the levels are built using like really leveraging all those components. Yeah. So um like the Hammer Brother is only really the, an interesting enemy because you because jumping on them is incredibly hard because they throw hammers up. Right. Yeah. Right? Right. And so you have to be more deliberate, right? Um and like uh the uh, the bloopers are uh, you know uh, underwater are also more of a threat because I don't think you can bop you can't jump on them. No. You can only shoot them if you have a fire flower. So um and the fire flower is diagonally diagonal and so like all these little pieces of the way it works and that uh, the way that Mario's toolkit is um, is interesting, and but they're all kind of arbitrary choices. It's the level design that makes them sing, you know. Yeah. Uh, it actually like leverages them correctly, like uh, how far a jump is, or the fact that when Mario runs, Mario can go over one unit gaps. Right? There's a lot. There's elements in the original Mario Brothers that that play on those things, um, as well as as well as elements that subvert those expectations a little bit. Mm-hmm. A lot of them in the original Japanese Super Mario Brothers two, <laughs> to the point where it kind of ruined that game. Yep. <laughs> and we talked yep. about that on this show before. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the idea of like having stupid poison mushrooms. <laughs> <laughs> um, but really, it's it's uh, the mechanics. Oh, they're a different color. <laughs> <laughs> that game made me mad too. Much. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, keep going. No, this is great color commentary. Um, <laughs> no, but it's, that's exactly right. Like you, you don't want to. It's that level of trust. You you want you give the player this language, and then they have to trust you that you will be fair with them, mm-hmm. right? Um, and uh, yeah, the mechanics in Mario are fine, but it's really the level design that make them work. Uh-huh. Um, and so I think that's the case with a lot of platformers, really. I think and so. Like, yeah, it's probably the case in like games in general. Like you have a set of mechanics, yeah, but you need a level to put them together and for the player mm-hmm. to be able to explore them and experience them. And that's when thing. That's why um, open world games are the ones that probably fail this test the most, mm. is because their level designs tend to. Uh, it tends to be really easy to break. A, an open world game right. because like the level design does not constrain itself around the game mechanics necessarily. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm thinking of, like the Grand Theft Auto games are a great example of this is like those games are, they can't, they cannot be difficult because they give you too much to do in a world where you can do anything. Right. Yeah. The, so, the open world aspect of it is real. The, mi- yeah. the missions themselves are well, they're designed. Well, and that's so, the thing is a lot of times they are, but they have to live in this open world and they, they tend to fight it a little bit. Yeah. Um, so some open world games um, are, are do a good job of like drawing those boundaries when they need to be drawn. And some are not great at that. Uh-huh. Um, and so I think that's kind of difficult. But then, Players, uh, open world games is a case where players aren't necessarily looking for great level design always. Also true. Right? There's like a different uh, uh, a metric that you judge its quality or its success on. And I think that's something interesting too is like uh, l- bad level design doesn't always break a game. Yeah. Like there are some good games with bad level design. Right. I was like, I actually, honestly, I was struggling to come up with a game example that wasn't like an open world game that had bad level design yeah. that I wanted to bring up on the show. The, the one I don't like very much, and I think that there's probably... I don't think this is a common opinion, but I feel like I'll have some backers. Is like the 2D Sonic games, I don't think have great level design. I would agree with that. Um, they, they have this great uh, game feel, like when you're, you're moving your way quickly through a level, yeah. or the, it has these branching paths. A lot of it's very interesting, mm-hmm. but uh, visually, it can, it's sort of it's cacophonous, mm-hmm. and it doesn't, um, when, when, when your rhythm is halted, then suddenly the game is totally different. Yeah. And it doesn't, it doesn't 
it doesn't give you any signposts or what to do. It has all these little things like springs and enemies and like collapsing platforms and moving like all the, it has a bunch of parts, Yeah, but none of it makes any sense unless you're moving at like super speed and then you only see 5% of it. So like, I feel I've never felt very comfortable like saying, oh, that level is great. It's always that level looks cool or the music was great or it was, or maybe that was just fun to blaze through. Yeah. But there's very little memorable about like, moments and sections because there's just so much of these little things yeah i was you know? playing uh i was playing sonic mania with my brother because he has it on the switch yeah um and uh some of the levels in there are like based off the old like literally the old levels i yeah. think uh maybe updated a little bit and yeah then some of them are like yeah. remixed mm-hmm. versions of the same thing um and both of those i just did not like i yeah. did not like going through <laughs> those levels at all yeah and i and i i like i realized that like a lot of the sonic games i didn't think it had good level design in the first place. The first one, it just felt like you were. It was just like a, a start and stop sort of thing. Yeah, like you'd go really fast for a moment, and then you'd have to do like a short uh, platforming thing, and you have to be really slow and mm-hmm. re- meticulous about your movements. Yeah, and to me, that doesn't. That's not what Sonic is. Sonic is, to me is about like uh, keeping your momentum going yeah. and constantly keeping that up and figuring out ways to do it. And when like your momentum halts, it feels bad. Yeah, but like the game is designed or the levels are like, at least are designed in a way that you have to halt your momentum to deal with certain obstacles. Right. And I think there's some Sonic levels that are like that. Mm-hmm. And I think they're meant to be a little different than other types of Sonic levels. Yeah. But Sonic is a machine and they can only work one way. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it starts to feel weird. Yeah. Well, the first one has a lot of egregious cases about this, I think. But like the, yeah. the later ones, there are more about like there are different paths. And if you go in the if you go to the, the worst path, then you have to be slower about it. But the higher paths, you can keep going. You just have to know where they're at. Yeah. Um, and so those feel a little bit better. And I think Sonic Mania was trying to get to that point, but like it. I don't know. It didn't. It didn't hit it for me. Yeah, my favorite level in all of Sonic's is probably Chemical. Was it Chemical Plant Zone? Yeah. Uh, in Sonic Two, and it's got that good music. And it's yeah, it's got good music. <laughs> um, it's got a, a, a lot of different variety. Um, it, it looks cool, but I honestly couldn't. I don't know what it is. Like I, <laughs> I couldn't draw it. Like yeah. I don't know what the beginning is. It has no sense of pacing. And I think that's where it kind of, and it's because of the way the game is designed, it has to be that way. Mm. Like, and that's the thing, Sonic is still a good game. Like, I'm not like, like, we, like there are parts that are not great that we're describing, but I would still say that doesn't ruin it. Mm-hmm. But I, I just, the levels are not memorable in that way. Like the theming, the milieu of it, and some of the little pieces. But like, you could, you could remix, and uh, Sonic Mania does, but you yeah. could take all the sections of my favorite Sonic levels and randomize them completely and I would not know the difference. Mm, mm-hmm. Like it doesn't have a sense of that and I, I find that kind of strange and that, that's definitely the diff- where Mario really shines is where you can see, you can see these little heat maps of like, um, like areas like um, uh, sections of Mario levels that are safe and sections that are dangerous, right? Yeah. They have like pits or whatever and you can, uh, for, for like a Mario level you can see like the, the how it goes back and forth between like safe areas and unsafe areas and then and and you can see like oh this is a little longer and then the pacing is just so well done yeah. in a lot of these like the and uh, Mario levels can be long or short mm-hmm. um, where Sonic levels kind of do, doesn't matter how long they are I guess yeah maybe there's like a there's a Sonic fan who like knows knows this better than we do right, we could yeah. probably make a case for it we didn't we didn't I didn't grow up with, well I played Sonic games when I was younger but like I think I was a bit older at that point and I had already played a bunch of Mario games yeah. and they're like very different. So I, I was a Genesis kid. Ah. Like Sonic was my game as, uh, when I was young. I okay. did have an original Nintendo, but I didn't have a Super Nintendo. So mm. like 
in the Mario versus Sonic 90s war, I yeah. was like on Sonic's team. <laughs> um, but I think because of advertisements, I don't think because of any other reason. But like, so Sonic was the, that was the one I, I preferred as okay. a child. And so I'd like to think I have some credibility when I say that it's not as memorable now, mm. you know? Um, okay, so enough bashing on that. Well, okay. What about like racing games and stuff? Because platformers aren't the only things mm-hmm. that need level design. Yeah, they're the easiest to talk about yeah. in these terms, mm-hmm. for sure. They're the thing you think about. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, well, Martha, when we were coming up with examples, one of the ones that you had was Hydro Thunder Hurricane. Hydro Thunder <laughs> Hurricane! <laughs> Which is a racing game yes. um, that your boyfriend Dylan is like top tier in the world at. Um, 28, I think. <laughs> <Dang>. <laughs> on certain maps. Nice. Uh, so you've seen uh, many, many playthroughs of this, so you're very familiar. Yeah. Um, and... I think what's so great about the the levels of Hydro Thunder is like they're just so well themed, I guess. Yeah. Or, and they like there's a level where you're going through um, like Area 51, mm-hmm. and you start off in like this um, normal seeming landscape, and then you go into this like facility. Yeah. And there's like all along the walls, there's like alien like pods and stuff like mm. that, and then you go through this portal and then you're in this like alien landscape world with like weird tentacle things coming out of the walls and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. So, so cool. Yeah. (laughs) Like the whole, the whole track tells a story. Yeah, exactly. That's pretty neat. Yeah. That's the thing that I think with level design, I think people tend to treat as a separate thing, which is environmental storytelling, Mm -hmm. um, which can, I think uh, level design is something that people don't leverage enough for that yeah um and that's a great example where it's not just the styling but like you said like you go through little portals and stuff and like that and like a racing game mechanics are not that complicated like no yeah. racing game is that complicated although mm. i'm sure there it's deep you know but yeah um but There's like six strats yeah <laughs> <laughs> um but like the different kinds of ways that you you know different just like ramps or like the little things you can you can theme to a level to sort of like separate them out and and uh, and leverage the storytelling that you use and the sort of aesthetic parts of it as well, right? Yeah, like there's a mechanic on a couple levels that all are like take place in cities where mm-hmm. like police boats chase you because you're having a legal boat race <laughs> in the canals of Paris or something. Yeah, right. <laughs> or in the sewers or mm-hmm. whatever. Um, yeah, I, I, that's the things that impressed me a lot about that game. Though like when Dylan plays it, he like breaks half of it, so I don't get yeah. to see a lot of it. And I mean, <laughs> that's fine. <laughs> But yeah. like, uh, yeah, when when you just have to play through it, I guess legitimately, uh, <laughs> then like you, you see the story being told through throughout the race, and the way that the way that Hydro Thunder races go is like you just go from start to finish. There's no laps, so like they don't have to keep telling the uh, same story over. Some over. of them are laps. Oh, some of them have laps. Oh, well then, never mind. <laughs> <laughs> A lot of the ones that are more storytelling, like don't. Okay. Like like, um, there's one that's in the Bermuda Triangle. There's a lot of like, um. <laughs> Like conspiracy theory esque yeah. maps, but there's one in the Bermuda Triangle where you where you start off like in this normal like boat race, and then suddenly you get sucked down a whirlpool, and then you're in this like ship graveyard, and you have to like oh, jump hey. over all these like aircraft carriers that are half sunk into the ground oh, or in wow. the water and stuff. Yeah, it's so cool. <laughs> you know, another a game that's I'm sure people listening are already thinking of that does something similar is Mario Kart. Mm. Oh yeah, particularly Mario Kart Eight, uh, which those I mean a lot of the, some of those are non-lapped yes. uh, l- levels, um, and they have a lot of these sort of like act structures. They tell stories. Yeah, um, but that again, environmental storytelling and then you, leveraging mechanics. Right. And this is the thing about Hollow Knight. Yeah, Hollow Knight has great environmental storytelling, mm. but it doesn't really use its mechanics 
in an interesting way to leverage that. Um, it, it, the different worlds feel different because of the different enemies that are there. Yeah. And not because of the way the levels are designed necessarily, which isn't, it's not that those aren't similar or related. Mm-hmm. Um, but I found that a little bit sort of frustrating. Yeah, yeah. I think that's true. Like a lot of the, the story of the world in each, in each per- section of the map. Uh, is based off of the enemies you're fighting. Yeah, so yeah. But the, that. The, where that where that game is like a, a total triumph in that area is that each area does really feel like a different environment, mm-hmm. uh, not just visually, but like the music. And then when you uh, unlock the the sort of the the uh, the subway system, yeah, uh, you you can you can get uh, extra commentary about each world. And then as you um, find inhabitants of the uh, above ground. And you send them back up there. You can go back up, and then they can tell more about how they got lost. And like the uh, the the world is better for you having been there mm-hmm. uh, when you hear about someone else talking about it. So that does a really great job. And even though a lot of that is outside of the mechanics of the game, um, uh, the the level the design of the levels really like make that feel better, like make it feel more real. Mm-hmm. Um, and I really like that about it. I do sometimes wish though that it was that, but I I could remember. Like my the mechanical experience being leveraged a little better sure. in those elements, yeah. But, but it, you know, which is it still does a lot more than most games do. True. Yeah. <laughs> I, my my favorite part, I think, my favorite part in design in general is really when you can tell a story just because of the, the how the mechanics work. And yeah. Stuff. Um. And so like like the racing uh, examples that Martha you brought up, and uh and just like in Hollow Knight where like you have to deal with enemies differently mm-hmm. depending on what area you're in, like that can tell the player a lot about how the world works too. Yeah. Um, and I don't think, and I think that like we should do more to do to do better with that. <laughs> yeah, because I think that's important. Mm-hmm. A, a game that does that pretty well is the first Bioshock, mm. where um, that's a game with relatively simple mechanics that don't change a lot as you go through the game. I mean, there's you know, your your power ups and stuff, mm-hmm. um, but each little area um, it has a real different feel and um, is sort of like the way the corridors are, are sized and like the way that it constrains your movement. Um, and the way that, uh, particularly like the boss battles, um, the, it, it, like it does use the design of these physical spaces. And that's, that's one where, um, it has to be, feel more like a real place, uh, you know, uh, than a, a platformer really can get away with. Yeah. Um, and I think the first biotech does a really good job of making Rapture feel like, even though it's a bunch of c- corridors with people to shoot, yeah. it still feels like it could have been a real city at mm-hmm. one point. And then you get to like the, the um, you know, the opera house or you get to the, the fish market or whatever it is that you get to. And then the, the way that those, uh, the, uh, even the way that those are laid out vertically, um, change how you engage with them and the types of enemies you encounter in there, uh, like make a lot of sense to the world building. And a lot of that level design is really, really strong um, in a way that like, the, for example, Bioshock Infinite, not great at. <laughs> because I will use every opportunity when I praise Bioshock to, 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 to like beat up on Bioshock Infinite. Because that game just feels samey the whole way around. Like every zone feels yeah. the same. Mm-hmm. You know? um, even though it had probably a stronger like, sense of place mm-hmm. than, I, than the first Bioshock did. Like in terms of what the story really was, like how much meat there was on that bone. Yeah. But it didn't really deliver to you in a way that the first Bioshock totally The meat did. wasn't lean. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I knew I'd regret that metaphor. Ah. Uh, the Arkham games, the Batman Arkham games, also do a pretty good job mm. um, of each sort of, and they're these like set pieces, right? And that's what's uh, that's what I really like about like the 3D games with those realistic art styles. I think really good level design in there can a lot of times revolve around these set pieces. Yeah, um, and that's where open world games can make it work for them is when you they take you to a place and then they like they lock you in. Like it's a little artificial in that sense. It breaks, but it allows you to then do more. 
um, with the level design. Um, and uh, yeah, the Arkham games are ostensibly open world, but they don't feel open world. They feel like you can play the sections in any order, but each they feel episodic. Um, oh yeah, I more more so than they feel open world, and to me, in the same way that like Grand Theft Auto feels, in that like you can do everything you want, but like when you want to go to the story, there it is. Yeah, that's I guess that's how I feel. <laughs> Those. That made it sound more negative than I intended. Yeah, but <laughs> that's how. That's how. Yeah, well, right. I was going to say I think the, the story is a lot stronger, mm-hmm. and then the drive, yeah. the drive to push you to it. Yeah, Whereas yeah, Grand yeah. Theft Auto really encourages you to just goof off forever. Oh, totally. Yeah. And that's like a strength of that game, right? Is you can just ignore the story. Whereas I think if you do that in the Arkham games, there you'll quickly run out of stuff to do. And they keep reminding you constantly, "Hey, there's these things you got to do." Yeah. I'm like, okay, I got it. But I got, it, I got hey, to save other people too. Listen. Right? <laughs> hey. Listen. <laughs> I th- well, that's. I mean, I guess th- that's my favorite type of open world game. Yeah. is one that is like it doesn't let you just goof around. Oh yeah, it actually does. Uh, not just bo- doesn't bother you. It actually properly motivates you to move through the story. Oh no, yeah, at I, 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 I'm making it sound way worse yeah. than I mean to. But like, yeah, like they 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 bother you in the way that like this is important and you need to do it. And you're Batman. Somebody needs to save these people. Yes. And I'm like, I'm, I'm trying to save other people too. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's all. Uh, <laughs> one of the uh, good elements of good uh, uh, of good. Level design from this article was about uh, efficiency, and that was so sort of interesting. And it's Ooh, efficiency in design, um, not just for the sake of uh, the player understanding elements, but for the designer creating them. Yeah, and I thought that was sort of an interesting thing. Like good level design is efficient, and it's like, well, what do you, I mean uh, conceptually, if you had all the time in the world, does it have to? You know, couldn't you uh, like? You don't have to reuse a lot of elements to save time, mm-hmm. but that is a telltale sign of good level design is if a designer does make efficient use of the tool, of the parts they have. Mm. Um, and I thought it was a really interesting take on that that isn't just about like saving time. It's like even if you have all the time in the world, saving time is a good sign that you've done your job well. Yeah, um, not just that, but like the player gets to explore and experience all of the things about this. If you're being efficient with it, like you get to use up, you like squeeze out everything you can out of <laughs> the level. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. That, that feels good for both the player and the developer, I think. Yep. And that's part of why... I don't like the new Super Mario Bros. ones as much because they feel like there's new things every level and it doesn't stick on anything. I was like, going to say, I think this still works on, okay. that, on that score because I think when we're talking about efficiency, it's mm. not just about like uh, having as few things as possible sure. to leverage as much as possible. Yeah, yeah. Um, think about the way that the, and this is, uh, there's a lot, there's some videos and, and articles about this four stage of, of, of level design in Mario games, which uh, when we say Mario games, we're actually talking about games starting from Mario Galaxy. Uh, oh, yeah. It's the, 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 the influence of, a, of uh, one of their uh, directors. Um, I have the name here. Uh, we'll put it in the notes because I've lost it in my notes. Um, but uh, is a, was a level design director on, on Galaxy and then, and, and then was the director on the, the um, new Super Mario um, uh, uh, 3D Land and 3D World games, uh-huh. huh. um, and that's where the 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 idea of this, where you you introduce a concept, a mechanic in a safe space, then you uh, develop it by making a more of a challenge. Yeah. Then you put a twist on it, so it sort of confounds your expectations, and then you give it a conclusion. You sort of wrap it up, and then you're done with it. Uh-huh. And that is a thing that a lot of these these uh, uh, this era of Mario games did that Mario Odyssey did not do as much of. And so it felt a little bit of a change because people were starting to anoint this as like the Mario way. Yeah. Um, but it really is just about the, this particular series, this smaller series of games. Yeah. And I think it is very, it is efficient in that same way in that it sort of uses, it, it, it does not waste any of it. 
Like it's sure it's no, for, yeah, each, for a game with 800,000 mechanics. Yeah. It still doesn't feel like a grab bag of stuff the way it could be. Um, and I think that is very efficient. It's maybe not as maybe not time efficient for the designer. Mm. Um, but in each little, you know, little tiny little uh, world, um, it, I, it is very, I think it is really well uh, efficiently designed. I mean, yeah, in each, in each specific level, like, yeah. they use that one idea very well. Yeah. But there's just a lot of different ideas and that's right. what I don't like about it. Well, the thing, that, the thing that I do like about that and do, do, doesn't bother me that there's so many is because you engage with it with Mario's like jumping me- mechanics. Right. And so it, it becomes not... The new mechanic isn't like a new weapon or a new... Although sometimes it's like a power-up, yeah. I suppose. But it's always a, a twist on how you use Mario's uh, skills that you've been using this whole game. Yeah. And so that's what, I, that's what I like about it. And the worst of the ideas are ones that are just like... That, don't, that are just totally new for new's sake. And there are a couple of those. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, I don't know. So, I mean, because that's the, I guess that's the point about efficiency not necessarily being, like, a, ma- a, ma- a formula. Yeah. Right? It's yeah. speaking about a, more of an a attitude, I suppose. Yep. Um, but, uh, yeah, do, I mean, we can talk about a couple other examples. But uh, before I, I guess before I get to a couple of these, there's one more sort of main topic that I think, again, another thing that Mario does really good, and the, the new Super Mario Brothers games, the 2D ones, do it particularly well, mm-hmm. which is this element of risk-reward. Mm-hmm. where a level design can be as difficult as you, the player wants it to be, um, where it's like a sort of a base level of challenge, but then there are bonus elements, oh. or there are like, oh, there's a power-up you could go for that will make the later part of the level easier, mm-hmm. but is more of a risk to go for now. Yeah. And that, like the, the, the 2D Mario games, particularly the newer ones, are like masters of that kind of design. If you, yeah, I was going to say, if you want to talk about like risk-reward stuff, I would bring up Kirby. Yeah? Because like, Kirby games are notoriously easy. If you if you don't go for all the collectibles and well the newer ones are particularly easy even if you do go for the collectibles right but uh, uh like some of the older Kirby games like when you try to get all the collectibles it gets real hard um uh, and like like that like I like the way that the, those games are designed in that like if you don't want to engage in that way and like you're saying right if you don't mm-hmm. want to engage in that way um then you do not have to and you can just go through a level and get through it and have a good time yeah but if you want to like get all that challenge and stuff uh then there's it's here for you. Mm-hmm. In a separate section, yeah, 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 and that is that's the philosophy we're trying to do with Widget Satchel mm-hmm. is where in Widget Satchel you cannot die, you cannot lose Widget Satchel, and so uh, we want to make it so that anyone can just traipse their way through the game, no problem. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, we want it to be really hard for people who want everything. Yeah, and it's hard to find that balance um, because you make a section that's kind of tricky, and you're like, but wait a minute, this is suddenly now is above the level of easy that we want the the you know the easier players, and we, we're probably maybe demanding more of of that gulf between the easy and difficult yeah. than most games of this type. Um, so we're we're setting ourselves a, a bit higher challenge than I think a lot of games that do this kind of philosophy yeah. have. Oh yeah, it's so hard to design for which is satchel, but it's yeah. fun. It is. It's been it's been fun. Like when it works, it's really satisfying. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know. Yeah, uh, I think we've gone over examples of a lot of good level designs. Have we gone over bad level design examples? We talked about Sonic. Yeah, so I want to talk about Mario Odyssey. Oh. Because I think Mario Odyssey has uh, has some of the open world-itis uh, problems. I think about like New Donk City, which like looks kind of cool, but if you kind of t- actually look at it like a physical object, it's like a gross ball of random shapes in a way that is not attractive. Oh, okay. And, and, Are you just talking aesthetically? No, no, no. There's more to it than that. Like It, it feels like 
the the uh, Mario says a great job of your first pass through a world mm-hmm. telling you where to go. Yeah, like it does a really good job of that. But then when you, your second pass, suddenly those signposts are removed or changed. Mm. It's it's very guided, and the level design itself is not doing the guiding. It's the the sequencing and the uh, the particular like mission that you're on yeah. that does the guiding for you. The level itself is kind of just a blue, like <laughs> it's just kind of a blob. And that you this feels really true once you've like mastered the level and you've seen all of it, and then you go for all the remaining moons. You suddenly realize like how much of a blob they each are because they're because you've lost all of your signposts yeah. for the different paths that you take through it. Yeah. Um, and uh, New Donk City, I think, is the best example of this because it really does, like, the scales fall from your eyes. You're like, oh, this is just a bunch of rectangles. Like, huh. it's not even that interesting. Okay, I found New Donk City to be the best level yeah? uh, compared to the other ones, especially that dang ocean one. <laughs> Nobody likes swimming. Yeah, well, no one likes underwater. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I found it to be the best because, like, every anywhere you look, there was something you could do, even mm-hmm. if it was just fun stuff. It doesn't yeah. even have to be, like, there's a moon in this direction. Yeah. Like sometimes you could just hop around. Uh-huh. And like, I really enjoyed that. And that reminded me more of Super Mario 64, where it was just fun to run around in the level. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Whereas like some of the levels in uh, Super Mario Odyssey, they were just gigantic. Like the, the desert one. It was yeah. just yeah, a gigantic so land many, mass. Yeah. yeah. Going from place to place just took time. Right. Yeah. And it, yeah, it was not, it wasn't really fun to maneuver around in that level. And That's so true. those are the ones I had an issue with. Yeah. But New Donk City, like, I, there's I, always I, like, oh, did I go up here? Oh, oh, I can go get yeah. over here. Oh, look, there's that cone thing that I didn't notice before. And then, yeah. 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 There's just, yeah, there's something new everywhere. And I mm-hmm. like that. I guess the, I don't disagree, mm-hmm. um, uh, uh, particularly about uh, Toasterina, the desert level. Yeah. Because it does feel like it is, it's just a bunch of little things in a big field, yeah. kind of. It doesn't feel that designed as much. Yeah. Um, but the thing with New Donk City is exactly, it's exactly like that. It's just denser. So once you start doing like the last third of the things in there, uh-huh. you end up retracing your steps a million times. And you're like, oh, right, it was the other way. And, and so you, you, you don't get lost exactly, but you just spend a lot of time hoofing around sure. in a way that is not fun anymore. Like the first time, fun. Mm-hmm. But then the fiftieth time, you're like, ugh, I just want to get to that thing. Like, I, I feel like that's the case with like everything in Super Mario Odyssey. <laughs> <laughs> I suppose. But where it really draws into a sharp relief is the sections in Mario Odyssey that are behind doors, yeah. or like the little, little tiny mini levels, mm-hmm. which are all, especially in the the post game content, mm-hmm. they're all genius little tiny chunks of level design mm-hmm. brilliant uh, almost entirely mechanical so a lot of them are ugly like they're just clearly put together with the parts they had because it's yeah. like these later challenges yeah. but uh, mechanically just brilliant design um, but it makes you re- realize oh yeah the best parts of Mario Odyssey are not the open world parts mm-hmm. they're the little behind the door parts the little little tiny world parts yeah I guess those are the ones you remember yeah, and it, that it kind of makes you realize, like, oh, okay, like it's it is fun to go around in these worlds, but that is not what the best part of that game is, and it kind of it kind of it was like sours it a little bit. I'm like, oh, okay, I guess I guess the core concept wasn't as strong as I thought, mm. you know. I don't know. Am I wrong? I liked it. Yeah. Well, what did you like about the level design? Um, pretty much what you what you like. There's always something around the corner. Mm-hmm. Um, the little ones I found some. Sometimes those is really challenging, and so mm-hmm. like I'll stop doing them and go and try another one. Yeah. Um, so that's why I, I like the open worldness of it because I could not do a level if I right, was right. like, and I wouldn't be prevented from ever playing the game again. So yeah, yeah. and that's that's one of the things that pulled that 
it, it shares with Mario 64, which is this idea of lots of little things you can do in not any order, but like many orders. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that is, that is definitely a strength of it for sure. Um, I guess just the size of it started to be like, especially because some of the, those best little pieces were really, really tiny. Yeah. And so it really throws into sharp relief like how big those other sections are. Yeah, um, you know, I mean, it's kind of cool to just find a moon out and about like th- that's a fun experience, I suppose. <laughs> I mean, my little cousin w- hardly ever went in any, at least not when I was watching mm-hmm. into any of the little levels yeah. or whatever. Um, she also plays as two player with only one, like just herself. Yeah. Oh, cool. Which is pretty funny. She picks up the, <laughs> the one to move the Mario and picks up the other one to move the hat. Ah, she's pretty funny <laughs> so she can't do any of the like combo moves because she hasn't figured out how to do that yet oh, but, okay. that's the um, pro strat though like that's how people do it in the speed runs they really play, i think they play it separately like that so, nice so, well there you, you got, go you got a little speed run around you <laughs> she was so into it anyway um so yeah so i mean i mean just going around the levels immersed her for hours yeah so i call that a win yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah but that might be just because it was the first time she was going through them. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, and again, Mario games are great at this, but, like, the, the idea that the worlds feel like their own little worlds, like, they have their very heavily themed yeah. in a way that's pretty successful yep. um, aesthetically, and I think that is a, that's a big part of level design that I think people discount as, as being a separate thing, um, but I think it matters a lot. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it's part of the mechanics, too. Like, if you're using, uh, you should be making sure that, like, the mechanics make sense for whatever level you're trying to make, mm-hmm. too, so... It it works it works both ways. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the other one that I wanted to like uh, uh, take down a peg because it's just it's been needed to be taken down. Okay, I guess uh, is this game called Bug <laughs> for a Sega Saturn that oh, I, I grew up playing and I liked a lot. Tear at it, tear at it. Yeah, I, I don't think a lot of people are familiar <laughs> with this game, so I will have to explain it a bit. But it was um, this was before Mario sixty four, mm-hmm. but it was in the era of the PlayStation and Saturn when uh, like 3D games were starting. Ah. And so what it was, it was a 3D platformer, sort of. And I, I would urge listeners to just look up some images of this because I'm not sure I'm going to describe it so really well. But it was, uh, each level was a sort of a, uh, it almost felt like a maze mm-hmm. um, uh, that was uh, um, uh, of corridors, kind of. But they weren't, they weren't, they weren't hallways. They were just like platforms, sort of. And you would, I'm, no, I, I'm trying to find a way to describe this very well <laughs> in, in, in a simple way. But like, yeah. it's sort of a 2.5D thing where okay. you, you couldn't move around in 3D space, but the levels were arranged in 3D. Mm. So you would sort of move left and right, but then you could also move back and forward if the level went that way. And so all of your, all the mechanics were 2D in that you, in fact, the character was a, a, a Donkey Kong Country style was like a pre-rendered sprite. Oh, cool. But it was a 3D model, right? Yeah. So it's trying to really be as 3D as possible. Yeah. Um, and uh, um, it, it, it felt like it was a 3D game. And it was like this like a great 3D game. And that was what it sold as. But that is, was totally a gimmick. Mm-hmm. The mechanics are not that way at all. And um, in a way that kind of hurt it. Because the, the mechanics were so bland and just jumping on enemies and collecting coins. And there was almost nothing else to it. Mm. Um, and the levels were sort of designing these sort of like um, twisty pretzely patterns. And so it felt like it was, it was visually quite interesting and for its time, graphically impressive, mm-hmm. but like mechanically, it, there was nothing to it. Mm. It was just a 2D game that was folded up like art origami. 
And uh, I remember really liking that game, and but the but never being able to revisit it as soon as I played any other game afterward. Yeah, you know. Um, but I encourage people to look that up because it's one of those things that looked it was definitely felt innovative. It was very well reviewed for its time ah. because it was graphically impressive and it was, had kind of a fun uh, 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 um, attitude. Um, it was the '90s, so everything had attitude. Um, <laughs> but like, it did not age very well um, because it is it's kind of riding a trend in a sense. Yeah. And I'm trying to think of other games that are like that, which sort of felt cool, felt good, but not for reasons that, like the reasons that don't fade away over time. Sonic Adventure 2. Yeah? Mm-hmm. That game is not good. Tell me about Charles. it. Charles. <laughs> because he, he, he swears it's good. Yeah. But yeah, like uh, like the first level in that game, you play a Sonic and you're going through the level really fast and it has a good song. Mm-hmm. Everybody remembers the song, <laughs> Escape from the City. Escape yeah. from the City. <laughs> I can't sing. But uh, yeah, after that, you got to go through like levels where you're knuckles and you're looking for crystals and stuff. You're not even punching people. <laughs> and like, what's even the point? Not and then punching people. And then, you, and then there are levels. I mean, you, <laughs> right. And then there are levels where you play as tails and you're in a machine the whole time. You're mm-hmm. not even playing as tails. Yeah. So like, these are the things that make that game not good. Uh huh. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's a preview of one of a rant. Uh huh. Sure. I have. Sure. <laughs> well, <laughs> I mean the the Sonic Adventure games. It was like it's Sonic's only real 3D games, right? And I mean, yeah. In terms, of, yeah. So, yeah. did it ever find? I, I never played those games. Mm. So, did it ever find a sense of what it felt, it, what its level design philosophy was? Because, like the 2D Sonic games, we were you know talking about them earlier. They have a very specific idea of what a 2D Sonic level looks like right but every time i see clips of the of those games i can't get a sense of what it is see yeah um especially because of especially sonic adventure and sonic adventure 2 yeah they both have a bunch of different characters in them and that you play as and mm-hmm. they all play completely differently and they have completely different levels okay so like it's hard to get a sense of what mm-hmm. the game is yeah. everybody wants to play as sonic right but you, you don't most of the yeah. time I and mean, that sounds like a strength though like le- leveraging the mechanics in the d- level design right well yeah ex- except that like what in, in sonic adventure specifically in one example you're playing a sonic and you're running through the levels really fast and it's really cool and exciting mm-hmm. and then in another level you're playing a fishing mini game as a character <laughs> as a giant cat uh-huh. and that's the game like literally his whole story is i gotta catch this frog so it goes to different pools and lakes and tries to catch the frog and he catches the frog and then the frog gets away uh-huh. and you, so then you have to fight a boss where you just the boss is made out of water and then you just fish in the boss mm-hmm. and catch the fish so a little bit of whiplash then like not <laughs> d- didn't have its own it just had a bunch of different identities yes okay yes <laughs> I, I could see a game making that work but i i kind it's of not understand where you're, you're at yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> well just want to give you guys a heads up uh-huh that the next topic is imminent. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that was a stealth. Oh, I liked it. Yeah, it was. That was good. Real, real good. <laughs> Didn't even see it coming. I was like, bam. Oh, man, this is a transition. Uh, yes, HUDs. Yeah. Heads up displays. Uh-huh. As, as, as was identified earlier mm-hmm. in, the, in the episode. They suck. Don't put them in your hands. Thanks for listening, everybody. <laughs> That's it. Cool. Third topic. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. All right. I... Uh, so obviously I'm on the end of the spectrum where like I'm like get rid of all of the HUDs, yeah, because they're just in the way. But I, I, I mean, I can't say that for all games. And frankly, I play fighting games and those have HUDs. So like you say, you can't say that for all games. But according to your notes, 
<laughs> no, don't call me out. <laughs> yeah, I just said get rid of your HUDs. Mm-hmm. Not everything needs to be on the screen. Yeah. Some things do. Some things are important and necessary. Like, for example, in a fighting game, you need to know how much health you have and how much health your opponent has. And you need to be really clear about it because you make decisions based off of that. Um, and like how much time is left in the round. But in other games, specifically MMOs, these are terrible at this. Yeah. They just have a bunch of screens all over your <laughs> and you can barely see your character yeah. or what's going on in the game because there's text here and there's a map here and there's several different health and other bars and stuff in this other section and like you, you can't even tell Maybe what the stock care. prices. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> You're joking, but some of them I think have that. Like it's too much stuff. Yeah. So this is yeah, so I'm just like, get rid of it all. Uh-huh. I like we we talked about this in a previous episode. Uh, I think this might have been one of the first ones we had, where like in, uh, we had just been playing Legend of Zelda: Breath of the Wild, mm-hmm. and like I'm like promo it all the way. Oh yeah, through it all that mess. And Mark's like, no, nah, I want, I need, I need some of this stuff. It's helpful. It's useful. And yeah. I'm like, eh. Right. So the the <laughs> the problem I have is mm-hmm. like I don't understand where you're coming from exactly okay. like is it just that you don't want the visual clutter is it that it doesn't feel realistic like what is exactly your problem i think it's the i mean because like when you say like it was like oh yeah that makes sense it's cluttered and noisy but like i'm still not hearing a real reason as to why it feels that way i think it's largely just because like oftentimes the huds just they feel like distractions they yeah feel, yeah they just feel like a bunch of noise that you don't really need to pay attention mm-hmm. to so like, what's a? I mean, I guess we can talk about Zelda because mm-hmm. we, you know, because but like, what is the example of the piece of HUD you don't need? Uh well, like the temperature stuff, you don't need that most of the time. It yeah. tells you in the game you're too cold, you're too hot, right? So like, that's true. Link goes ah, yeah, and, and like it makes a noise, yeah. and you take you start taking damage over time, and like you'll shiver if it's right. too cold, and there's a blast of cold air in your face mm-hmm. when you start getting too cold, right? That's when you've crossed the barrier yeah. from pretty cold to too cold, yes. But what if you want to know, what if you want to prevent that from happening? I mean, you wait until it happens and then put on your warm coat. Right. But what, I mean, certainly a lot of people role play when they play Zelda. Like what if you want to be prepared for every scenario and not just be like walking, walk into a tundra and go, oh, I should probably put a shirt on. (laughs) Like if you know, what if you want to, what if you want to go there with, (laughs) I mean, I think that's true, but I think if you're going into a cold place, you put on your coat before you get there. Yeah. But how do you know it's, how do you know how cold it is? It's like the it's cold at night in the desert. Like you don't know that unless like because there's no temperature. There's no there's no uh, uh, heater that comes with your switch. Yeah. Uh, to like to give you that feeling. And this is where I, this is where I definitely differ from you. Peripheral idea. Yeah. <laughs> this is where I think like I think people get really up uh, when they're like, oh, we don't want any mini map. I don't want any of this stuff. Like I think people get this idea of like it's it's about it's about realism. Uh-huh. And I think that that's a problem because these are metaphors sure. for the experience your player is having, yeah. just like hit points are. And so I, I think that we too easily forget that like, that's what it's doing. It's doing what uh, the character in that world would understand or know. Yeah. And it explains to you, the player in a way that you can understand. And know. right. And I, it's the realism thing is not a yeah. side I'm going to take. Cause like, eh, whatever. Yeah. Realism. But like maybe you don't need the uh, like the the temperature gauge yeah. for, mechanically. Mm-hmm. Like you can always because like when you as soon as you're too cold, it doesn't take health off right away. Yeah, I would guess they probably iterated versions where it did. Oh, probably. Um, in, in where you would need to be more cognizant of that. Mm-hmm. But if you think about actually playing as Link, go, walking through this world, wouldn't you want to always know 
how hot and cold it is. Like if you if you're thinking of what the how realistic it is. I guess like if I was if I was thinking of it, I'll because I'll, uh, I don't play with the thing on in in uh, Zelda, so I, yeah. I don't have a good example. But I had <laughs> there's a mod in Skyrim you can add where like uh, it's called uh, hypothermia or something. Yeah. Where like it'll cause sections of the map to be too cold or too hot, and sure. like you got to be prepared for it. Yep. Um, if I'm planning on going to a cold location, I will make sure to wear warm clothes before I go to that location. Yeah. Instead of and if I start getting too cold, then like there is a little notification that pops up, but like mm-hmm. it comes in for a second and then goes away. Yeah. Uh, and like, that will just tell me, Oh, I need to put on my warm clothes. So like, I, that's, I guess that's what I need from it. I don't need to necessarily feel like I am the character feeling cold. Yeah. I just need to know that the character I'm playing as is too cold at this moment. And then I just switch clothes. Okay. So thinking of the, the indicator you get in Zelda yeah. when you're too cold, yeah. one of the fun things about it is it's diegetic. Yeah. Like uh, Link shivers. That was the word I was looking for earlier. Diegetic. <laughs> but not only does he shiver, but like um, like particles fly off of him. Yeah. Right? Not realistic. I mean, but yeah. that is that's a HUD element. Right. It just happens to be diegetic, right? Yes. So like, would you be okay if it was more like your Skyrim mod where it was just a little like a little warning thing that popped up on the screen and then went away? Mm-hmm. And Link looked more realistically how it would look. Would that be okay? Yeah, that would be better because it's not constantly distracting. It's only there when you need to know it's there. Yeah. I think that's really what it is. It's like there's a lot of, there's, if with, especially with MMOs, there's a lot <laughs> of distracting noise all over the screen and not all of it is relevant. And in fact, most yeah. of it might not be relevant mm-hmm. uh, for most of the game. It's like contextual HUD. Yes. I like contextual HUDs a lot better. Like Hollow Knight does this pretty well. Mm-hmm. Like when you collect things, then you see how much. Uh, of that collectible you have you don't need to see the collectible constantly because that's Mm -hmm. not relevant when you aren't buying stuff or you aren't selling wait you mean like geo yeah geo you always have your geo count no it's it's not always is it always up it's always up there (sighs) well it shouldn't be what you're talking what you're talking (laughs) about is that when you collect a bunch yeah it shows how many you just collected before for a couple seconds before adding it to your total yeah which is a way for you so you don't have to be constantly staring at your count yeah that's a good piece of of UI design. Yeah. But yeah, it's always up there. You don't need it up there all the time. Right, because the shop is like so far away. Right. There's not that many. Yeah, the shop is yeah, in one but, spot. But, but you're, if you're saving, if you're up, for saving up for yeah. something, you're going to need to know like, oh, I need to defeat like three more bugs to get 200. Well, then press yeah. the start button and look at it on there. That's a lot of work when I'm like, should I go back up or not? You have I, to press, keep pressing start yeah. all the time? I suppose. I guess that that's, that's where I, it's like, I, I don't understand like your, your um, the ideology you have about it. It's like, it's not hurting anybody. It's not taking up the space. And then it's available for the player who wants it when they want it. The game is not making an assumption about when you want it's, it or need I, it. It's distracting for the player that does not want it. Uh-huh. See that? Problem. I'm not sure I agree with that. Okay. Well, it just it's just because you didn't me. even notice that it was there. Yeah, you want you, you want it to be distracting, know- but it's in fact not. It well, wasn't that, at all okay. because you didn't even notice it. <laughs> That's true. That the geo thing I did not notice, uh-huh. and so. I can be wrong sometimes. Ha ha! <laughs> <laughs> but not in this case. Hunt sucks. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I'm just taking a stand, I guess. <laughs> this is where I die. This hill. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, I, okay, yeah. I, like I said, the geo thing, I, I guess I literally just did not notice that. But like in other cases, they will have, they'll constantly have their, your health bar and stuff on it and stuff. Like with Skyrim, I have that stuff fade out. Yeah. After you like it's not visible or hasn't changed in a while. Right, right. And sometimes, admittedly, it's too not visible because sometimes I oh. have like, <laughs> sometimes I have like two thirds of my health and I want it filled all the way, but like it's gone, so I don't know that I'm at two thirds health. Right, right. Um so like in those situations, then I just press start and check my And I'm thinking meter. about 
I, I don't play Skyrim, mm-hmm. but like I, Skyrim is not a constant going from battle to battle kind no. of game. A lot of it is just, uh, you know, walking around to the next thing. Yep. And so that would make more sense to have a HUD that fades away mm-hmm. because there's because le- the the developer can be more confident that you don't uh, there in the in the opportunities which you would need to see that information. Yeah. Right. I mean, the modder rather than the developer. I yeah. suppose. <laughs> um, but so it really, I think it really does depend on the type of game. It totally does. Like you started off by just defending fighting games, but like I could totally see a type of fighting game where not knowing your health would be an interesting mechanic. There is. Uh, uh, I brought it up the other day. That's last time we had an or last time we recorded. Mm-hmm. I can't remember what it was called. But Shaolin Showdown. Not oh, Shaolin like Shaolin. where it's like depending on what, <laughs> limb, what limb you get hit on yeah, or something like that. That one yeah. doesn't have a health bar in it. Right, right. But right. like it's clear when you're when right. It uses different indicators. Mm-hmm. But I could see like a type of Street Fighter where you just do not know. You just have to guess like based on how many hits you think you took. Like that would be. That's the Moonfields. Oh, I surprise right. <laughs> but that's just because that HUD is not. You can't see it. It's not. <laughs> I like that. We, we're, yeah. we're both just. Stumbling <laughs> over our previous claims. This is great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But you know what I mean. Like yeah, it, it becomes right. it becomes a mechanical choice. Yeah. So like you know I could it 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 changes the mechanics of it. And I sure. think it's not just about like oh it's distracting or I need it or I don't need it. Uh-huh. It's that it changes what the game is necessarily. And yeah, you brought up the Moonfeeds, which is a game by a friend of ours uh-huh. uh, and uh, uh, Rafi who develops it is he's incredibly anti HUD. Like uh-huh. he is like he puts his foot down like uh-huh. more than you I think. Yeah. And uh, his is a game that in my opinion I mean he gets to decide. Yeah. But in my opinion I think it needs a little bit of indication for how many like health points you have. Yeah. And he has these like diegetic indicators um, which I don't think a lot of people see very well. And he's doing a lot of work to try to make that work for it yeah so like he knows he's not like ignoring the, the, the issue right but like i think that ideology maybe prevents him from coming up with a solution that like uh, he's making it harder on himself sure you know? and I, I think he knows that and yeah he's, he's well, going with it eyes open yeah um but, <laughs> but i think that the moonfields is a good example because the way that health works in moonfields is when you take damage there's no health in bar or anything mm-hmm. uh but like your character starts blinking a little bit more frequently right and the more health you have or the more health you are missing the more frequently it will blink yeah um and so in order for you to actually pay attention to that you have to like stand still for a moment and see what's up yeah and so yeah. like well, the goal is to, in fact, communicate to you. Yeah. And so it, 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 it's doing the job of a HUD element, um, just not as well. And at the co- like, in order to maintain the purity of not having a piece of well, HUD. Well, no, but not just that, but like, it also is a part of like, the game as a result of you yeah. having to sit there and pay attention to oh, it. Like, it has become that. Yeah, I don't, I don't, so like, I don't know that that was the intention. Oh well. <laughs> okay, maybe it was. But I guess we'll yeah. have to have Raffi on. Well, you know, no, I, I, <laughs> yeah. I would, I would totally guess that Raffi has leaned into that. Yeah, you know what I mean? Because yeah. he certainly noticed it, mm-hmm. and now that becomes a part of it. And like mm-hmm. a lot of choices you make as a designer can be like for whatever reason. Like yeah. you don't have to have a good reason for a choice you make, True. as long as you recognize it and then move forward with it. And I think he's done that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think um, like the idea that it is not just a, an ideology; it actually does mechanically change what you're doing and and when I hear those I I think you know better and I think Rafi knows better but I think a lot of people who make this argument of like you know clear off my screen I don't want to be distracted whenever I hear that argument I don't hear it in any other context but 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 that Uh, and I think that that's can be kind of annoying because because like a lot of times games benefit from adding a piece of HUD like and that becomes more clear and less distracting and more like simpler for people to understand even if it is there are visually more things happening, and I think people don't understand that. that like they, they think of it too on one dimensionally, I suppose. 
Sure. You know? Like an example is in Metro Nexus, in my game, um, there's a, uh, there was a, a charging mechanic where as you charge your weapon by pulling off energy off the ground, yeah. uh, your, your sort of cannon that, that is in front of your car gets, gets longer. Uh-huh. And the longer it is, the more powerful your weapon is. And I didn't intend that to be something that people needed to know exactly how important that was because I didn't intend for people to really um, like be precise about how much they charge their weapon exactly. Yeah. And I, th- I assumed more that they would see how many uh, tiles of energy they picked up off the ground and that that's a much bigger space on the field mm-hmm. and that would be more their guide of, of, of how much they charge. And that's kind of more important to the game too, right? Right. Like picking up stuff. Exactly right. But uh, players didn't really keep track of that. Even I thought they would, but they didn't. And what I ended up having to do was I ended up putting a, a piece of HUD underneath the car that's just a little bar that charges up and I was like loath to do it uh-huh. because it's like it's extra like clutter and visual clutter is something that like I have, have trouble with uh-huh. I want it to look nice and when yeah. in a game where it's like four players running all over the screen it's hard to know how it's always going to look yeah. and so that's something I've been trying to be very careful to calibrate um, but as soon as I put that on there players started understanding the game better. And I, I asked them, people who played before and after, I said, like, is it okay that this sort of extra visually cluttered? And they're like, what are you talking about? Like, they literally didn't even notice there was an extra thing there now. And I, I, I still was like, oh, it's still an extra thing. But um, I don't know. I feel like that's, uh, that's in, at least, and I'm biased because it's, you know, but I feel like it's a success story yeah. of, like, adding a bunch of junk it makes it simpler and cleaner. Sure. And I think that's way, that's way, it's true more often than anybody's willing to admit. Okay. Then yeah. Steven is willing to admit. <laughs> <laughs> okay, it's maybe like five percent, sometimes better. I'll take like it. Like three percent, or zero percent. <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> okay, it's not zero percent. <laughs> yeah, I yeah, I mean, I will admit that every once in a while it's just nice to have a thing up on yeah. the screen so that like you know what's up and like it's helpful to it's helpful not just for like people who aren't who are playing the game, people who aren't, because sometimes it's hard to tell what the heck is going on because there's not enough stuff on the screen. Yeah. Like, that's a part of the reason why I don't like watching, like, professional League of Legends and stuff mm-hmm. is because I can't tell what's going on <laughs> a lot of the times, especially in, like, team fights. Uh-huh. Uh, so. Speaking of games, there's a lot of HUD. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's true. You know, the, the, I think the, the best games that do, like, a lack of HUD well are mm-hmm. ones that are really designed for that. Um, I'm thinking about Clawbreaker, where like there isn't a health bar because you just lo- lose one arm and then lose the other arm. Yeah, <laughs> and like it's designed for that. Like if it if it had more complicated mechanics, it would require a more complicated uh, layout. Yeah. Um, and I, I think that's that's great. It's I think the the problem comes when there's it's more than you need or less than you need. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. It's just determining what you need is the challenge. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It depends on what what's important and what you think the player needs to know. Yeah. At certain times or all the time. What games do it really well? Like, what are what are the ones that like get your seal of approval? Well, I was gonna say Hollow Knight, but now I feel like a hypocrite. <laughs> <laughs> but it does give you the information you need all the time. Mm-hmm. Also, you're in combat fairly regularly, so like showing the health, showing your health, and showing how much uh, yeah. mana you have and stuff, basically all the time is, is makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, and it seems like it was unobtrusive enough that you didn't even notice it when you didn't need to notice it. So, yeah, yeah. so I would have to say Hollow Knight. Steven, seal of approval. <laughs> um, trying to think of good games that games that I really like the HUDs on. Mm-hmm. Um, I like Borderlands's because mm-hmm. it's the, the, just the mini map. I like Breath of the Wild with all the things. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I love the aesthetic of that. 
I think that I think we even talked about it. Like it, I, there was parts of it I didn't love totally, but I just love that clean white graphical look on on a, this fantasy environment. Because I normally hate like the fantasy gizmos that are always filling these huds, mm-hmm. but the Breath of the Wild was just gorgeous looking. I like, like, but it like brought up my sort of like must have things in order tendencies because <laughs> I had to get. You can't just have part of a stamina wheel. Like yeah. you have to have oh, a yeah. full circle, <laughs> and then if you get another part, you have to get a full another circle. Otherwise, no, it's not okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Mario Odyssey also similarly clean aesthetic, and it had tons of HUD. Like it was explaining things remember. to you constantly. Oh, that's why. I even don't. with little like tiny inset videos. Yeah, and it was all good. Yeah, all I was gonna say I don't even remember there being any HUD, but it's largely just because things will pop up contextually. Mm-hmm. I don't think anything. Is there anything on the screen otherwise? Yeah. Is, I don't know. All the moons you have. Is that the, always the, coin, there? the coins you have? Oh boy! Wow. Okay. So here's the you just, have, you just have no HUD mode turned off on your brain. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> uh, so yeah, the lesson I've learned today mm-hmm. is that if you don't notice the HUD, mm-hmm. then it's good. But it, and you have all the information you need, then it's good. Yeah. One of the things Mario Odyssey does that mm-hmm. probably helps with this is the camera is set back pretty far for oh. a 3D Mario game. Oh, and so you tend to look at more the center of the screen, and so the things that are on the outside, including the HUD, tend to fall outside your view mm. in terms of your. Uh, uh, perception yeah. more than they would say in an older game that we were on smaller televisions and lower resolutions yeah and so um i don't i think that's probably true of well, i think zelda's probably really the camera's pretty much the same it's been in previous ones okay but i feel like mario odyssey so that you are looking at the edges of the screen a lot less than yeah. you were in previous games that's a good that's a good point mm-hmm. i like that hmm. that did make sense as to why i don't remember any of that <laughs> huh. any other anyone else any other game you want to like just destroy <laughs> And leave on the battlefield before we 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 take this Just episode. MMOs, too many windows. Turn them off. Yeah. <laughs> I, I leave it on that. <laughs> you heard it here, folks. <laughs> <laughs> That's our show. If you haven't already, subscribe to Nice Games Club in your favorite podcast app, and be sure to give it a good review if you liked it or are nice like us. We really need to know you're out there, so leave a review and tell all your friends too. We also want to hear directly from you, so follow us on Twitter and all the other things at Nice Games Club. Lastly, you can find more about the show, your nice hosts, as well as get all the links and show notes from this and other episodes at NiceGames.club. So until we start again, remember to play nice and make nice. They tell stories. Yeah. Um, and I find that so interesting. Yeah, there's the there's the the snow one or whatever. One where you go down an <laughs> incline. I don't remember the most of it. But yeah, it the tells a story. One where you go down an incline. <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's all I remember. Uh-huh. There's like parts where trees are falling and you can hop off of them, and yeah. then there's a part where there's you're in a cave or ice cave or something and yeah. snow. Uh-huh. <laughs> Real memorable. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I swear it exists. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co.